How did the 2012 London Olympics manage to sell 11 million tickets spread across 950 different sports sessions? That is what we hope to find out in today's episode of the theticketingpodcast.com, where the guest is Paul Williamson, director at Two Circles and previously director of ticketing for the 2012 London Olympics. Paul knows a thing or two about ticketing and is willing to share his knowledge, so please pay attention, it's well worth it. Hello everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to theticketingpodcast.com. My name is Carl-Eric Moberg. I'm the host of this podcast. I'm also the CEO of Ticketco, but that role is not important here. What matters now is our guests and their stories. And today's guest is Paul Williamson, director at Two Circles, who also has an incredible track record within ticketing. It's a pleasure to have you as our guest, Paul. Thank you very much for inviting me along. So, Paul, you've been working with uh, ticketing for 30 years now. And uh, unlike the other guests uh, on this show, is that you are not directly involved in the ticketing operations anymore, but you're very much a ticketing expert. Uh, and you are definitely working within the ticketing space. Can you tell our listeners a little bit on who you are and also a little bit about your background? Sure, happy to do so. Um, I, I work in the ticketing business rather than ticketing operations now. And that's a, a subtle distinction, but it's a, it's an important one because I'm no longer involved in the day-to-day management or sales of a, of a venue, but I am involved in building businesses using ticketing, particularly for major sports events. I started in ticketing many years ago for a small company called Synchro, who built ticketing systems and sold them into football clubs, particularly in the UK. And at one moment in in 1995, we had a ticketing system in every single Premier League club. So uh, we, uh, we, we, we did 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 the hundred percent that year. I, I moved the business into into sport and particularly into major sports events. So we provided ticketing systems and then project management for uh, Euro Euro ninety six the football championships, and that carried on with UEFA into Euro two thousand, Euro two thousand four, Euro two thousand eight, etc. And those big events were challenging but great fun because in effect there were startups you started with a blank sheet of paper you developed a ticketing strategy and a plan and a route to market and a timeline and pricing and a sales strategy and you launched um and then you sold as much as you could and then you operated the tournament and then you closed down and moved on and that was a fantastic life cycle in business driven by ticketing And I got the hook for big events. Synchro got taken over by Ticketmaster, and I became a director there for a few years. But then in 2007, I left to become the director of ticketing at the London Olympics and stayed there five years. And we sold um, nearly 11 million tickets for the Olympics and Paralympics with success. And then following 2012, I set up my own business, working on on sports projects, sports events, providing consultancy and, and, and revenue direction and revenue management on rugby world cups and world athletics championships and cricket world cups and world cycling and things. And then in 2020, 
I'd been working in parallel with two circles on some sports projects and we we got talking and uh, they they bought my company Sports Inc into the two circles family and I've been there for the last two and a half years going really well there now now we're working with a bigger footprint worldwide on more events and, and more clients and it's um still a busy exciting chaotic world of ticketing but it's uh it's real and it's um a, a fantastic place to work 100% agree with you there Paul and definitely and I mean when you talk about this background there is a quite a lot of high profile events uh, and I mean, besides uh, the London Olympics and the England rugby in 2015, you've also been consulting on the ticketing side. And uh, just to sum that up uh, for, for our listeners, uh, we're talking uh, the International Olympic Committee, the Rugby World Cup in France 2023, uh, Paris Olympic uh, and Paralympic Games in Paris 20, for 2024, which is uh, next year. Uh, Rugby League World Cup in 2019 in England, Birmingham Commonwealth Games 2022, uh, FIFA World Cup in Qatar 2022, the IIF. Um, and I mean, the range here of of what you've done is, is incredible. What's the main differences between all these major events, the way you see it? Um, I, I've, I've, been, I've been fortunate. You know, I enjoy working in big sports events and... Once you've got a track record and mine came through the London Olympics, other people are interested because when you're building a big sports event, it is a startup with lots of risks. And that revenue number for ticketing looks very high in the budget plan. And they want some some support, some experience, some risk reduction to help achieve that that revenue target. And each of those each of those sports is different. The Olympics is just very, very big and very complicated. Football World Cup is a is a juggernaut. It's a it's a fast moving train. It's um, it, it, you know it captures the world for a month, two months, and and that's all everyone talks about for for that period. But what all of them have in common is, if the stadia are full, if the atmosphere is noisy, if it's live and it looks like the place to be. And 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 everyone who's watching on TV thinks, wow, that's that's fantastic. Then ticketing's done a good job. And and if ticketing doesn't manage to do a good job, if the seats are empty, if the atmosphere's flat, that follows through in everything else in terms of the athletes, the players, the 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 quality of the sport, the quality of the broadcast, the media coverage. Um, it all goes down a notch if it's not big and full and noisy. And so my objective, our objective, Two Circles, is to, is to make sports events big and noisy um, because people enjoy it. Definitely. And I think uh, what you're looking at is here talking about the customer journey. I mean, if you have a you can have a full stadium, but if the customer journey is not optimal, like you're saying, there won't be any noise, which which I guess is what you're referring to. Yeah. And, 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 and that customer journey is partly about um getting the customer to come into a ticketing system and, and 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 buy a ticket but it's partly also about the the narrative and the storyline and where are we trying to take that customer what are we trying to sell them because we're trying to sell them more than live sport for 90 minutes we're trying to sell them a dream and that dream is 
to go to a World Cup or to take your family to an Olympic Games. And we're trying to sell that 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 dream, that narrative, that 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 storyline, which takes the the customer out of the ordinary, gives them something to look forward to, and the ticket is merely the access point into a, a fabulous world that they enjoy for the day and look back on for for, for many months to come. Great, and. Talking about dreams, pursuing a career within the sports industry, that is a, uh, it's a dream come true for, for, for many people, for sure. Uh, can you elaborate on what's your secrets to success uh, and how have you gotten there? You mentioned the getting the first, I mean, London Olympics first, that brought you into these big events, but what's the recipe? I, th- I think, hey, there's no silver bullet. There's no easy answer. But for me personally and for people I've worked with, If you're enthusiastic, if you're positive, that goes a long way. People want to have discussions with a smile on their face. And and, and if you can make things positive, it it makes a real difference. Plan forward, you know, uh, aim high and see where you can get both both personally and in your business uh, in terms of what you want to do. Because I always say to people, look, working in sport is tough because it's, It's live, it's pressurized, the world is watching. But the only thing worse than working in sport is not working in sport. And so, you know, those of us who work around sport are, are very fortunate and we should we should be thank, thankful for that. And we should work hard to make it a success because everyone else out there, you know, cares about it. When I went into work on Monday, you know, everyone was talking about the Arsenal game on the, on the, on the Saturday, which I'd been lucky to be at. And you know that was that was the the the, the storyline you know around the coffee machine for the day, and that was all about atmosphere and noise and fans and players living up to it and, a, and an extraordinary match of football, and and I love that um, across other sports. And if you bring some of that enthusiasm and that excitement um, into the business world, it goes a long way. Um, and and specifically in that. It's a small world, sports ticketing, sports in general. What goes around comes around. So don't burn your bridges. Mm. If you burn your bridges with someone, it will come back and haunt you later. So treat people with respect. Treat people how you want to be treated in 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 this world, and, and maybe that will come back round as a positive. Great. I think the conversation around the coffee machine, it's uh, not only in England, I guess that's the conversation all over the world. So, uh, and I, I think that also shows the impact. But looking at this... And, and, and just on that, on that customer journey point, you know, people in London still talk about the most extraordinary two, three weeks of the Olympic Games when people travelling on the London Underground, the Metro, talked to each other. On their way to sports events, on their way back from sports events, people smiled and they talked to strangers because they were enjoying the same experience. And it was like one big coffee machine right the way around London of people just having a chat with whoever was there about what they were going to see, what they'd been to see, what they enjoyed, what they'd seen on the telly. And that was amazing. Because that doesn't happen normally. It only happens in your office at the coffee machine with five people. But this happened with millions of people for, for, for two or three weeks. So, you know, 
that's what changes lives. That's what makes it exciting. Definitely. So it was it was it was more fun taking the tube then than ever, uh, I suppose. And and people are not talking together at the tube. That's for sure. Exactly. So I mean, looking at all these events, the we could do a podcast episode on each and every one of them. I'm I'm sure. But let's dwell a little bit on uh, the London Olympics because you mentioned you almost sold 11 million tickets and that had a value of about $1 billion. That's right, yeah. On 950 Olympic and Paralympic sports sessions. That is incredible numbers. Yeah, and it, you know, it's, it, they are big old numbers. People forget how complicated Olympics is. You know, we had 26 sports in Paris. I think there's 32 sports. Mm. And those are all, in effect, world championships taking place in the same city at the same time. Yeah, it's incredible. But how do you, can you tell our listeners, how do you sell 11 million tickets? Um, in the same way that you eat an elephant. You do it slowly, piece by piece. And by the time you get to the end, you discover you've eaten the elephant. Um, so, you know, we set out a plan to, to capture lots of data, to take people on that customer journey, to offer lots of sports for sale, and to make sure we, we sold not swimming or gymnastics but we sold the five rings we sold the olympic games we sold the the excitement of of london 2012 because we knew that lots of people wanted to go to athletics or track cycling or beach volleyball but we'd sell those out and we needed to carry those people over so they bought handball or volleyball or greco-roman wrestling instead and still had a good day out they may not have understood the sport before they went, but these are the finest athletes in the world in that sport competing for an Olympic gold medal. And that's what we did successfully was build that interest and in the Olympics and carry that across all the sports so that people were desperate to come, but also happy to come to anything and, and be a part of the Olympic Games. Mm. I guess that also answers a little bit of my next question on what uh, what made you the right man for the job. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, my my back my background um, before the Olympics was was in in sports ticketing. I'd worked with the IOC and I'd worked on big sports events like Rugby World Cups and European Football Championships with with some success, and 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 all of those you know contributed to me getting successfully hired and then building a really good team of people. It wasn't me, it was the team that did it. And we had a team of people who are now working in, in sports and in business across the world very successfully. I had an email in this morning from a, a colleague in my team. She's now head of FIFA ticketing for, for Women's World Cup in Australia uh, this year. It was great to hear from that. I was texting last night with a, a colleague who works at World Rugby. She was on the on the Olympic team with me in 2012. People have gone on to do great things because they they worked on the Olympics. And working on a big sports event is like living life in, on, on fast forward. You get five years' experience in two. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have to make decisions. You have to keep moving forward because that start date, that kickoff, isn't going to change. You've got to be ready and you've got to be the best you can be. So run fast, make decisions, get on with it. 
and that puts life on fast forward. Definitely. And and you've you've built a startup yourself. And I guess the difference between a startup in this industry, which we are referring to, is that there is a deadline. And that is the, that is the day when it when it's when it's over, right? Uh, when it comes to uh, building a, a company, it's different. You never know where the end goal is, or you might have a have a, a vision, but still. And people either love or hate that discipline of a fixed start date. I love it because it it, it brings a real focus. COVID changed that. Some events got got pushed back by a year, but none of them got postponed by a week. They got postponed by a year, and you know, hopefully, we're through that now. But but you know, we we knew that for the Olympics, twenty sixth of July, the opening ceremony was going to take place, mm. and we had to be as 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 ready and as smart and as sold out as we could be, and to to, to run fast to get there. And when you're building, you know, fifteen new venues out of the thirty venues that you use, um, and you've got twenty six sports in London. And you've got you know nine million Olympic tickets. There's a lot of spinning plates there. There's a lot that's going to go wrong, and and our job is to is to make it the best it can be. So in this case, the starting point is five, was five years ahead because you uh, you started at uh, their director of ticketing in the London Olympics in 2007, and that's then right. you have a, a five year plan. So how do you structure these five years? In, from um, getting point of view, it's, it, I mean, it sounds like it was all, all perfectly planned, but you know, life is never like that. And you know, uh, I, I wanted to 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 analyze and to develop a strategy and and a plan that was data led, data driven for for the London Olympics. But one of the things which I did do, and I was very fortunate, I went to the Beijing Olympics in two thousand eight, which was big and magnificent and very different to London. And as a, you know, as a, as a quick story, you know, I went to beach volleyball at the, uh, at the Beijing Olympics, you know, someone had to go. So it was me. And I went to a morning session of beach volleyball. It started at nine o'clock. It finished at something like half past one at lunchtime. And there were seven beach volleyball matches in that session. You can't watch seven beach volleyball matches. It's not possible because it's it's a bit the same again, same again, um, and it takes a long time, and, and, and. By the time the session got to the seventh match, only 10% of the spectators were still in the venue. The rest had left. They'd gone shopping. They'd gone home. They'd you know, gone to do something else. They'd gone into the shade. And the seventh match was between players who went on to win the gold medal. So the finest athletes in the world in that session were playing in front of a 90% empty venue. So one of the things we did for London was say, okay, instead of having two sessions of beach volleyball a day with seven matches in each, we'll have three sessions and we'll have four matches in each so that there's less sport, but it's more intense. Spectators will stay for four matches. They'll enjoy it. They'll be part of it. And then after two and a half hours, they'll move on. And that's, and that's a better spectator experience. And it's a better athlete experience because you've got a full stadia for every match. And it's a better ticketing experience because you've got 50% more tickets because you've created an extra session every day. So things like that are, 
sport driven, but they become a business plan to change the way London would do things. So that's, you know, one little illustration of what I was doing for those five years was trying to re-engineer some things to make it a better product. Mm. I think you're uh, talking about product there, which is which is extremely interesting. I mean, even though you have seven matches, that's it's a great story and an inspiring story. It's the same sport, but it's not the same product. That's what you're saying. Yeah, and 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 you know, sometimes in a product, less is more. Sometimes more quality is better than more quantity, and I think that's true in 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 sport. And so we tried to make sessions, you know, shorter and sharper. Hey, we didn't succeed every time. You know, in fencing, we had, you know, one session was six hours long. And we said to the fencing federation, this is crazy because no spectators will stay for six hours. And they said, this is how the sport operates and this is how we operate. And everyone left after three hours because you can't watch six hours of fencing. Um, and, and I think one of the changes that we're seeing now is more and more sports realize that if they're not relevant, if they're not watchable, if they're not spectator focused, they're going to get left behind. Mm, mm, definitely. If, uh, and, and that is a, a, a very interesting approach. I think people's attention span is, is getting uh, smaller and smaller as well because there's so much noise out there that you have to do more to break through and think more creative. Yeah. Hey, Carl, Carl Eric, I, I agree. I think people's attention span is getting smaller. But I also think, and, and somewhere it's a contradiction, that people are also realising now the value of live and the excitement of live and post-COVID as well. They want to be back in crowds experiencing that communal that community feeling in live sport live music live theater because live is exciting definitely and I, and um is this looking at the macro picture and what's happened we've been through a pandemic are these things you're considering now that you're planning uh, the event uh, in in paris uh, next year for example yeah, I'm work. I'm working with 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 the Paris Olympics two circles. We have a team there working there every day, working on on revenue planning and 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 ticket volumes and, and the like. And Paris have just had a very successful launch of their tickets for next summer, um, with with huge interest and and amazing sales. They haven't announced all the numbers yet, so that's not for me to say today. But um, but they're on track, and they and they've done what we did in London in a different way, in a French way of selling the Olympics mm. and getting people excited in the Olympics and coming to more than one sport, buying two or three sports and making a plan to make your games. That was what this phase was called. And that and make your games is very customer focused and it's very product focused as well. Mm. It's, you know, Hey, how do you combine these sports so that you and your family can see three sports in three days in Paris and have a great time. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, two circles, of course, which is where you work today uh, and which is where you sold your company to. And, and that is also an interesting story. But can you share a little bit on what does uh, two circles do? Uh, you've been named the sports industry agency of the year three times. So you're obviously doing something right. But can you give us a little insight on, on that? 
Two Circles was launched um, just over a decade ago to start with customer data insight to, to, to analyze customer data and to track customers right across their, their interactions with a football club or with a sports organization so that the, 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 the club or the sports event could understand who was coming, what they wanted, uh, and how they could take those customers on a, on a better journey, a longer journey, and a, a, a richer journey in terms of their engagement with the club. Two Circles has been very successful in, in understanding that customer data. And understanding customer data in sport is very different to in other parts of business mm. because you have a loyalty, you have, an, you, you have a passion for a, uh, a team, a brand, and usually nothing's going to change that. If 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 you're if you're you know born a fan of 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 um of of a, of a football team and you know my son supports Arsenal and he's we live near Arsenal you know if if you support that team you're not going to follow Tottenham ever and so your loyalty to Arsenal goes much further than your loyalty in other parts of business mm. and building upon that bringing more people into that world is is what two circles does um and then uses its experience to help people with their help clubs with their ticket planning with their commercial marketing with their sponsorship and and now as well with their communications and marketing with with their with their fans and with the real world mm. so you know we work with wimbledon as a as a, as a tournament uh, and we work with them on on some ticketing, on some commerciality, and and a lot on on um, on two weeks of very hard work of of, of comms and customer engagement. Mm, mm. So moving on to a little bit to you, Paul, um, uh, as a person, you've you've gone through the uh, uh, an incredible career in sports. What do you see is is your biggest success criteria, and and what would you do different if you if you went. Uh, if you went back, then uh, Paul uh, applying for his first job. Um, biggest success, I think, was 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 London twenty twelve Olympics, just because it was it was it was really hard work. <laughs> I discovered I had a brain tumor in the middle of, um, of of working for the game, so I had to have surgery to remove that, and that was a little bit disruptive for a few weeks, to say the least. But the London Olympics and and and, and surgery changed my life because mm. it, it it proved to me what I really enjoyed and what I was really good at. And then I've spent a decade since then doing those things that I enjoy and I'm good at. And I, I'm lucky I found a, a career doing that. I think if, if I went back to the, to, to the start, you know, hey, I'm so old, okay? I was doing ticketing before the internet, okay? And there's not many of us left around who did that. And um, <laughs> so if I said to my younger self, Hey Paul, there's this thing called the internet coming along. Um, I'd, I'd have made a bit more money, <laughs> but um, I, I think the thing I, I would say to myself is is, is keep evolving. Mm. Next year's ticketing is going to look different to this year's ticketing, and in five years' time, it will have reinvented itself completely mm. because the customer will have changed and the customer routes to engagement will have changed you know no one thought that tiktok could be relevant to ticketing two years ago yeah. in two years time 
we'll either all be selling, distributing, marketing tickets through TikTok, or TikTok will have died and its successor will have arrived. Yeah. If you're not flexible, you're not going to be in business. No, uh, 100% agreed. You're talking about the future, going back a little bit on, on your uh, background, which we, we've been talking about, but looking at new generations, you, you're a firm believer of always offering uh, child prizes. And I guess that that's connected to the next generation and recruiting. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, if, if, you, if you don't have child prices, if you don't welcome families, your product's going to be stale and you're just going to have the same people coming in the end. You've got to bring on the next generation. And big sports events have a real opportunity to do that because they reach beyond the normal. So if it's a World Athletics event or a a Rugby World Cup or an Olympic Games, um, I really like to see child prices, not necessarily at the final, but at lots of the preliminary matches where tickets can be cheaper, where families can come together and the next generation can be inspired to enjoy live Mm. so that they can then carry that forward and they can enjoy that further. So, you know, one of the fun things we did uh, London 2012 was um, we decided to have child prices, which was Mm. unusual in the Olympics. Decided to have child prices for, for 250 sessions. Okay. But instead of saying it was half price or whatever, we said, no, we're going to be noisy here. So we invented pay your age. If you're age five, you paid five pounds. If you're age 10, you paid 10 pounds. If you're age 15, you paid 15 pounds. And we went as far as well so that if you were retired, if you were elderly, if you were over 60, you paid 16 pounds and you felt young again. So we did that for 250 sessions and round the coffee machine, round the water cooler, people talked about it and people laughed and they laughed with us, not at us. And they engaged and that brought hundreds of thousands of people to the Olympic ticketing website because pay your age was affordable. It was interesting and it made them think, hey, I should bring my family to this. Wow, I can't get athletics, but I'll go to badminton. Yeah. And that underpinned our approach for the Olympics. Great story. And uh, another topic uh, is also the the match day sales, which is uh, another challenge that, um, I mean, our listeners are facing um, on a constant basis. And and you you stated that uh, the bigger the match, the smoother the sales, which is uh, which is a nice quote. But what's your advice to to organizers uh, who sell most of their tickets very close to the event or or for foot, in football like on match day? Uh, how can they change the shopper habits of their ticket buyers and, and, and to achieve that? I mean the goal, which is more pre-sale. Uh, hey, it's 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 hard, and and that's what you know. Two circles is in business with lots of clients for is to how can we build those sales earlier? How can we accelerate those sales? How can we build certainty? Because for a sports organisation, it's partly about cash, and it's partly about certainty. If you know how many fans are coming on Saturday, mm-hmm. you know how many bar staff to employ. You know how many pies to buy in for the customers to buy you know how many programs to still print if you're selling programs 
everything comes from the volume of spectators. And if those people are buying them on a match day, that makes it much more difficult to plan the business effectively. Hmm. So bringing that forward through better marketing, better engagement, better pricing is, is really important. On a match day, increasingly we see people buying through through the app, buying online, buying a digital ticket. So there's less physical pressure on the box office and the people lining up to buy a ticket, but there's still pressure on all the services because transport, because stewarding, because parking get hit by late buyers who they don't know are coming. Mm. So the, the, the holy grail is, is always, can we do things earlier? Can we do things smarter uh, in order to, to deliver certainty for a match day? Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, it's like you're having a dinner at home and you don't know how many guests are coming. And precisely, precisely. That's not a good, not a good start for sure. No, it's 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 it, it 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 it's not. And you know, my family turn up at short notice for dinner with mum, and we always find something in the fridge for them to eat. But it's not necessarily a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and uh, and I mean, thank you so much, Paul. Uh, we're um, uh, near the end of this uh, show today in this episode, and it's been a, a great uh, pleasure to have you as our guest. But before we wrap up, if there's three takeaways uh, that you would like to recommend our listeners, what would that be? Um, firstly, uh, don't work in ticketing. It's hard work. Um, it's noisy. <laughs> it's busy. Um But if you like, people do work on ticketing, in ticketing, and be prepared to work hard. Knock on doors, ask people, you know, use use you know tools like LinkedIn, but use tools like, hey, Paul, uh, I see what you've done. That's really interesting. Any chance I could buy you a cup of coffee and sit down and pick your brain for half an hour? Mm-hmm. Because I've always found, you know, people help me on my way up. I'll help others on their way up. And what goes around comes around. So, you know, sometimes get out there and ask people, hey, could I meet you? Could I say hello? Could I find out a bit about? No, you can't come and say, I want a job. But you can say, hey, I'm really interested in this and I want to work hard. What do you suggest? Mm. Mm. And and I think that, you know, being human and being friendly goes a long way in this business because it's a small world. It is. And um, we've heard the expression, nice guys uh, finish last. But I think it's the quite opposite. Uh, kind folks finish first. Uh, <laughs> right? Uh, and I guess that's what you're saying. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Paul, for coming today. It's been a real pleasure again. Uh, very, very inspiring. And, uh, and I love your stories. For our listeners, you've been listening to uh, the theticketingpodcast.com. Uh, where today's guest has been Paul Williamson, director at Two Circles. Thank you very much for having me. You know, um, I know you're you're summing up, but look, it's it's been fun, and I wish you every success in in business and with this podcast because I think anything which which makes ticketing more relevant is really important. I love bringing ticketing forward, and and thank you for that, Paul. There are two versions of this podcast. Uh, it's the one you've just been listening to, which is the industry expert version, but there is also another version where the very same expert reveal their secrets to their ticket buyers. If you would like to hear more from Paul, you should check out that episode as well. You'll find it on the very same platform as you found this one. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to our sponsor, Ticketco, for powering the ticketingpodcast.com. 
My name is Carl Eric Moberg, and until next time, good boys.